so I'm really glad to see you in the house of God today. Thank you so much for being here. I didn't get to preach last weekend, so I didn't get to congratulate the Elizabethan Cyclones on winning the state championship. That's where I went to high school. So I just wanted to say that, get that out of the way. And all the Greenville fans can keep crying. It's all good. But, uh, but we'll just move forward. Amen. And I think most of our team's coming back next year, too. So it's all good. Y'all have a chance in about three or four years. But anyhow, let's go to Matthew chapter one, if you would. I want to I wanna preach a sermon today called How Far Will He Go? How Far Will He Go? I want to talk to you about why Jesus came, how far he will go, and how much you mean to him, how much lost people mean to him. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for you to hear this message today. So Matthew chapter one, I'm gonna start in verse 18. That's what the Bible says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I first of all want to point out that God is faithful, because even though Joseph was about to make a stupid decision, God visited him and changed his mind. I don't know if there's anybody in the room that's grateful today for a God who's faithful to visit you when you're about to make a stupid decision and convinces you to do something different. Come on, is there anybody thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit? You should be more grateful than, than that because a lot of us were about to make some really, really stupid decisions, but the Lord intervened for us and saved us from ourselves. Is there anybody in the room today who God, hey listen, thank you for saving me from all of that, but thank you so much more for saving me from myself. I've been my own worst enemy sometimes. He said he was gonna divorce her privately. He didn't want to disgrace her. But after he considered this, an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I love what the angel says. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for a God who not only saves me from myself, but I'm thankful for a God who sometimes destroys what I wanted it to be to give me what he wants for me. I'd rather have something that's conceived by the Holy Spirit than something that's conceived by my intellect or my education or my background or my experience. Is there anybody in the room grateful today for a God who's got something beyond your imagination, beyond your own ability to conceive? The Bible says he does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. I can tell you one thing about serving God. This I know, that God loves to blow up our plans. Not because he loves to blow up our plans, but he loves to blow up our plans because he has a better plan for our life. Is there anybody thankful for the plan of God in your life today? I'm grateful for God's plan in my life. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over these next few moments that we would hear from you. 
that we would hear directly from heaven because what we need is not man's word, we need God's word. So speak to us, change us, help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. 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 So the angel says she's gonna give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is the theme of why Jesus came. He came to save people from their sins. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. First Timothy 1 and 15 says that Jesus came to save sinners. As a matter of fact, you see all throughout Jesus's ministry, sinners drawing near to hear Jesus. I've actually got a problem with a church that doesn't have sinners in it because a church that is absent of sinners is a church that is absence of the present, absent of the presence of Jesus. Because wherever Jesus is, sinners are drawn to that place. And so I don't know how you came here or why you came here, but I just want you to know that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you're welcome here because this is where Jesus lives and he wants you here. He really, really does. So because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and he came to save sinners, that means that Christmas is really, above all, a reminder that you and I are guilty of sin and in need of a savior. See, there's really no joy in Christmas if you separate his birth from his death. I know Easter is a few months away, but truly today, we are celebrating Easter just as much as we would celebrate Easter because you cannot separate his birth from his death. You cannot separate Bethlehem from Golgotha. You cannot separate what he came to do from when he came to do it. It's why he was born. And the joy of this season, I know it sounds weird and it sounds strange, but the joy in this season is that a baby was born and that baby was born to die. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But I'm thankful that that baby came not only to be born, but I'm thankful that that baby's name was Jesus and he came to die for my sins and for your sins. That's the joy of this season. And because of that, it's also a reminder how far God will go to save sinners, how God seeks and saves sinners. Luke 15 gives us a little bit of insight into how far God will go for the lost, for those that have been abandoned, for those that have gone missing, for those that are broken, for those that have been disregarded. Luke 15 is very powerful. It shows us a few different stories. And the first story, Jesus, as a matter of fact, in Luke 15, the Bible tells us that sinners are drawn near to hear Jesus again. And Jesus starts to tell this story. Luke 15, he starts to tell the story about how if you had 99 or 100 sheep and one went missing, would you not leave the 99 and go after the one? The Bible is teaching us that how Jesus seeks and saves the lost there, there's, there's a beautiful pattern to it. The Bible teaches us, first of all, that he leaves. He leaves. The Bible teaches us that he came from heaven to earth, that he left the splendor and the glory of heaven to come and to live in this earth like you and me. He left what was important to do something significant. And sometimes in order to do something significant, you have to leave something that's important. 
Sometimes in order to do something significant, you have to leave the thing that maybe gives you some identity and maybe leave the thing that gives you some sort of recognition or leave the thing where all the angels are singing your name. Sometimes you have to leave what is important to do something that is significant. And to, to most people, what God was leaving was significant. And we were insignificant, but I'm thankful for a God who saw what he was about to do for us as something significant, something worthwhile. Aren't you thankful that even though God doesn't need you, he wants you? I'm thankful for that today. And because he saw me as significant, he left something important to do something significant. That means there is, there is nothing on God's agenda that will keep him from you. There is nothing that you are going through where God says, it's not that important. I don't really care about that. I'm not concerned about that issue in your life. I'm not concerned about that thing that's keeping you up at night. I'm not concerned about that thing that's trying to rob you of your faith. That is not the God you serve. The God you serve will always leave what seems important to come after you. Why? Because you are significant. He's a God who leaves. And then the Bible teaches us that not only does he leave, but he, he searches. The Bible says in Luke 15, Jesus is teaching. He goes, there was a woman who lost a coin and she turned the house upside down looking for this coin. She went into every corner, every dark place. And then she finally found the coin and they had a celebration because of it because it meant she was gonna be able to shop for Christmas. That's what it meant. She was missing the coin and there was a deal and she needed to get to that deal. So she had to find that coin. That's not what it's talking about at all. But just so you stop sleeping and listening, I thought I'd start talking about shopping. <laughs> so so she, she, she finds the coin and the Bible says they celebrate. And what's so interesting about this part of the story is that something was lost, it was missing, and she didn't know where it was, so she turned the house upside down to find it. What's so significant about this story is that God knows where everything is. He doesn't have to search for anything. So what God is trying to say to you is this, you're so valuable to me that even though I know where you are, if I didn't, I would search everywhere to find you. I, I don't know if that excites anybody in this room. I'm thankful that God knows where I am, but I've been some places and I've wondered, God, do you really know where I am? And I'm thankful that even though God knows where I am, if he didn't, he'd still search for me. There's no dark corner he wouldn't look for me in. There's no place that I could go so far that he wouldn't search for me. Matter of fact, the psalmist said, even if I make my bed in hell, he's looking for me there. There's nowhere I can hide from the Savior. Is there anybody thankful that you cannot hide from the Savior? You can't hide from Jesus. And even if he thought you could, he'd still come find you. He, he leaves, he searches, he waits. He waits. The Bible says that there was, there was a son who wanted his inheritance and the father was kind and gracious and gave him the inheritance knowing the son was gonna waste it. He did it anyway. It's an incredible thing. So the son wastes the inheritance like the father knew and he gets to this place where he's desperate. He starts to make his way back home and the Bible says that while he's afar off that the father sees him. In other words, the father's been looking. He's, he's looking out. He's He's at some point in every day, he's going to the porch and he's looking for the son. And, and on, on this particular day, the son is making his way home. And the Bible says that while he was still afar off, that the father saw him. I love this because it means for you and I, the best we'll ever do in trying to make our way back to God is afar off. 
but that's cool. That's fine with God because he makes up the distance that we cannot make up for ourselves. Why? Because he's waiting. He is looking for us. And as soon as he turns his head back home, the father starts to see him. And when he sees him, he's been waiting on him like he waited on a woman at a well, like he's waiting on you right now, like he was sitting on the edge of your bed when you woke up Saturday morning from a hangover from Friday night's business. He's waiting for you. He is patiently waiting for you. The Bible teaches us that he is not willing. He doesn't want anyone to suffer and go to hell. He is waiting. He is patiently waiting. He is, he is slow in his anger and he is quick in his mercy. He is patient with you. And then the Bible teaches us that he, he chases us or he runs after us. This would be significant in this story because the people listening to the story, not only were there sinners around, but there were religious people around who were hearing the story. And they would have heard Jesus talking about an, an influential, a person with a lot of affluence and influence running. And they would have looked at each other like, why is this guy running? Doesn't he have people for that? Because the significance of this moment is that people with affluence and people with influence in that day, they didn't run. They had servants for that. So the crowd would have looked at each other like, this, is, this, is, this must mean that the father still thought the son was important for the father to leave his position and not send somebody else, but he went himself. I just am so thankful for God that he didn't send an angel he didn't send some rep representative. He didn't send a pastor. He didn't send a preacher. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the only reason I'm saved today is because the Holy Spirit himself convicted me of my sins. I'm thankful for the preacher who preached the gospel. I'm thankful for the person who visited with me. I'm thankful for the person who shared the message of Jesus with me, but it wasn't them. It was truly Jesus himself coming after me. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a representative. He himself came for me, and that should show you how important you are to God that he came himself. You ever needed something to really get done? You said, if I gotta do this myself. That's the way God feels about you. Nobody else can do this for him. He did this for you. Philippians 2, five through seven says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, on the cross. So God seeks the lost. He goes to the furthest place to find the lost. The Bible teaches us that all the while to do this, he is emptying himself. He is humbling himself. How is, how is he humbling himself? John 1.14 gives us a little insight into how God emptied himself. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who, who came from the father, full of grace and truth, how did God humble himself? Well, the word became flesh. Heaven's greatness was wrapped in human weakness. 
That's how God emptied himself. That's how God humbled himself. He took his word and he wrapped it in flesh. And the word is such a powerful statement. Just those two words at the first of that verse are so powerful because the word is so important. Tim Keller says this. He says, a person's word is the clearest and most ultimate revelation of who they are. From observing a person, you can make inferences about them. But unless you have spoken to them, you cannot claim that you know them. I was with a friend one time, and we were talking, and we were talking about somebody. He was like, bro, I, I met him. And I was like, wow, you did? That's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad you guys met. And then I was with the person that, that he said he met. I was like, hey, I heard you just met my friend. He was like, no, I didn't, I didn't meet your friend. So I got back to my friend. I was like, hey, I, you told me you met. He was like, yeah, we're, we're in the same room. And like we caught each other's eye, like he looked at me and I looked at him and like we, we had a connection. I was like, you didn't meet. You were just in the same room. You haven't really met someone. You don't really know someone until you have heard their words directed at you until you have had a conversation. You have not truly met them in the same way. You have not met God until you come through the word. His name is Jesus. There is no other way to be saved. I don't care what popular culture tells you. I don't care what humanism tells you. I don't care what other religions tell you. The only way to know God is through the man, Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. The only way to know God is to know his word. That's the only way. First Peter 1 and 23 says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You can know all sorts of things about God. You could be in the same room as God. But to know him, you've got to know Jesus. That's why you can't just come to church and be saved. You, you can't just grow up in a Christian home and be saved. You have to make a decision that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and it, come on, and is coming. You have to believe that. It's not enough that your parents believe it. It's not enough that the church you go to believes it. You have to make that decision. You have to come to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. The sun the Son, the Word, became flesh and dwelt. He lived among us. You know, truly, there are no real watertight arguments for Christianity. There are plenty of reasons to believe what we believe. But truly, we don't have any watertight arguments other than the watertight person of Jesus. Jesus is our argument. Jesus is our argument. Jesus is our logic. The Bible says that the word of God became flesh. The word word is the word logos or logic. Jesus is the logic of God. In other words, it's not illogical to believe in Jesus. It's actually very logical. It requires more faith for you to believe that a bunch of stuff found its way together 
and then all of a sudden exploded and created what you see now. It'd be like me getting the, pi the parts for a bicycle and throwing them up in the air and <laughs> going like that, and they all come together and create a bicycle. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Jesus is very logical. He's not just a man of the Bible. He's a man of history. And, 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 and history teaches us that Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies, 29 on the day of his crucifixion. Eight of them were major prophecies. Watch this. The probability of one man just fulfilling eight would be one in 100 quadrillion. That would be like filling the entire state of Texas with two feet full of thin mints. I love thin mints. <laughs> and writing your name on one of them. Then you're airdropped into the thin mints and you happen to pull out the one thin mint that has your name on it. And that's just for him to fulfill eight. He fulfilled 300 plus. Jesus is our logic. It's not illogical to believe in Jesus. <laughs> and so the word, the Bible says, became flesh. I want to read this to you. John Bloom wrote this. This is so powerful. He says this. He says, the real Christmas was nothing like the Christmas we have come to know. It was a desperate moment that occurred for a desperate reason. He was born outside of a village to die outside of a city. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Mary had to lay him in a manger because the world he created made no room for him, but he came anyway. He journeyed through homelessness, poverty, exhaustion, loss, shame, hunger, thirst, and pain. He even knows what it feels like to think God has forsaken him. So let me ask you a question, he says. Are you broke? So was he. Are you lonely? So was he. Have you been betrayed? So was he. Are you facing death? So did he. Whatever sacrifices we make or losses we experience, they will never come close to his divine stooping down to take on our humanity and endure an excruciating death in our place. And he did it all to show you how far he would go to save you. He did it to show you how far he would go to save you. I don't know how far away you feel from God right now. But the distance that you need made up cannot be made up by you. It can only be made up by him. And there's good news. He's made it up. Wherever you are. Not only is he coming, but he is already there. Not only is rescue on its way, but rescue is already there. Somebody said to me, they said, they said, Robbie, I just feel like I'm disappointing God all the time. I said, do you know it's actually impossible to disappoint God? They're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, it's impossible to disappoint someone who already knows what you're going to do. Because the only reason disappointment occurs is when you expected something to happen that didn't happen. So now you are disappointed. 
So just think about it for a moment. God cannot be disappointed because he already knew you'd be where you are. He already knew you'd do what you And so you're wondering, can God forgive me? He already has. Because before you got there, he was already there and he had prepared a way before you showed up in the same way that he said when he left the earth, he said, listen, I'm going because I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. He knows exactly where you're going to be tomorrow. So he's gone into your tomorrow and he has prepared a way of escape tomorrow. There's a way of escape on Tuesday. There's a way for forgiveness on Wednesday. There's a way out on Thursday. You serve a God who has already gone in front of you. Is there anybody in the room who wants to give him praise that he's already forgiven you? He's already saved you. He's already healed you. He's already, already done. It's already done. I'm thankful. So the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't understand how he did this without killing us. <laughs> Think about it. In the Old Testament, the priests, they would, they would go into the presence of God. And when they would get in there, there was a concern that they could die in his presence. <laughs> and so they attached a bell to themselves so that if the bell stopped jingling, people would know they died. And they would pull them out by the string that they were. They couldn't even walk into a room where the glory of God was. And the Bible says that Jesus is the full expression of God's glory. The only way he could do it is like what he did. But he did it better in the New Testament than he did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Bible teaches us that the glory of God dwelt among his people. The Bible uses the word tabernacle. That means he, he dwelt among, he lived among his people. He fellowshiped with his people. And the only way they could do it was they had to build a box for it to fit in and sit in so that it wouldn't kill everybody in the camp. So the Bible teaches us that when God's glory is getting ready to come to the earth, the glory can't just show up because if the glory shows up, we all die. So what did the glory do? The glory to tabernacle among us wrapped itself in human flesh. Human flesh is better than a box. Human flesh is different because in, in, in this situation, you couldn't touch that box and live. But now that Jesus is wrapped himself in human flesh, Jesus, you could touch him. And he could touch you. I'm amazed that God would be able to rub shoulders with the filth of us and come out without being filthy. And not only did he come out not being filthy, but he made me clean without killing me. I just wonder if there's anybody thankful that I have seen the glory of God and I lived. <laughs> I have seen the fullness, the full expression of who God is. And I survived. He wrapped himself in flesh. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus would have a hard time with modern day Christianity. 
He'd have such a hard time, especially with American Christianity, which has become so much celebrity culture in America. We, we, got, we, got, we got preachers that are acting like celebrities. I get it, you know some celebrities. I know some too, but I'm not one. I'm a preacher <laughs> of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got no room for unapproachable pastors and green room evangelists. We got no room for that. There's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Jesus wouldn't have been able to fit in in this day and hour because he would have wanted to talk to people. He would have wanted to come off the stage. I'm thankful that we serve a God who dwelt among us. I'm thankful for a God who's willing to fly commercial. Come on, somebody. He doesn't need a $56 million plane to go around and preach the gospel because when he gets around unclean people, they don't mess with him. He messes with them, and he takes what is unclean and he makes it clean. That's the whole point. And I, I know you're shouting right now, but I got, I got, I got, I got to, I got to challenge you. In the same way, this is who he was. This is who he wants us to be. This is this is who our church is. If if you are uncomfortable by being surrounded by, there's even a verse in the Bible in one of the translations that uses the word riffraff. If you are uncomfortable being around riffraff. This church is gonna make you very uncomfortable. And it's gonna get even more uncomfortable because we, are never, we have never gone as hard after lost people as we are gonna go from the end of this year into 2020. These next five years are gonna be the greatest five years of soul winning our church has ever seen. We're gonna win more people for Jesus in the next five years than we won in the first 35 years. You better believe that. If you don't like that kind of stuff, if you don't like being around people that don't look like you, talk like you, act like you, come where you come from, smell like you, you're gonna have a problem with this church. I've literally had people mad at me because of the way we're leading this church. Mad because I, I, I wanna come to church there, I love the worship, I love the preaching, but I, I can't have my kids seeing homosexuals in church, and I can't have my kids seeing people with tattoos and earrings all over, and I can't have my kids seeing black people marrying white people. I've had this said to me in 2019, but I want you to understand, I'm not building a church for saved people. We are building a church for lost people. This is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. Sinners like you. Sinners like me. That have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And now all we want to do is see people see the freedom. Come on, is there any? Because whom the Son sets free. He is free indeed. Come on, stand on your feet and give God some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish right here. I want to I read a verse I read to you earlier, and I want you to see it. Stay standing. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We've got to stop trying to be God and serve like God. So what did he do? He took on the form of a servant. 
He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he became obedient even to the point of death. We've got to get back to the place where we are willing to. And I know we live in the comfort zone of America. But we have got to get back to the place where we are willing to die for this gospel. Listen, if you aren't willing to tell your neighbor about Jesus, you are definitely not willing to die for this gospel. So you have got to break past the point of just telling your neighbor. You've got to get to that point where I'm willing to die for this. I'm willing to suffer for this. I'm willing to pay the price for this gospel. Why? Because this isn't about me. This is about them. This is about others. This is, this is not about me. I've been rescued. I've been redeemed. Now my calling is to have this mind among ourselves. That we're willing to empty ourselves. That we're willing to, to get into the mess of reaching people. That we're willing to be criticized for serving Jesus, that we don't care about guilt by association. Oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, you know Jesus. Yeah, the one who eats with sinners, drunks. Yeah, that Jesus. In Christianity, we've, we've, we've tried to build a bubble around ourselves to keep all the riffraff out. And that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is the journey into the riffraff. I, I didn't save you just to bring you out so you could look over here and be like, hey, come over here, it's nice. No, I saved you so that you could walk back into the same craziness that you got out of and to the same people that are stuck where you were stuck and drag them out with you. That's why I saved you. First of all, I wanna do, wanna do something. If you're in this room today and you need to make a decision about Jesus, you need to maybe, maybe you need to give your life to him for the first time. Maybe you've been coming to church, but you've never repented of your sins and gave your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to make that decision. Or maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you've been doing your own thing. You've been living in sin, trying, you just, you just, this cycle of sin. Or maybe, maybe it's not even some sin. Maybe, maybe you're just not passionate about the things of God anymore. And today you want to make a decision. Like, I really want to recommit my life to Jesus. Like, I want to serve him. I want to live for him. I want to be willing to die for him. And you need to make that decision about the Lord. I'm going to count to three when I do. I want, if you're either one of those people to throw your hand up in the air, say, I need to make a decision about Jesus. I don't know where I don't know where my eternity is gonna be spent today. Or maybe you're the person who's, I know where I'm gonna spend eternity, but I need to make a decision to come back to God. I've been afar off. If that's you, I'm gonna to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to raise your hand. When you throw that hand up in the air, we're gonna rejoice with you. We're gonna pray a prayer with you. And we're gonna believe that in this moment, God is gonna radically transform your life. Listen, you are not just making a mental ascent to a higher power. God is going to radically transform and change your life. Old things are gonna pass away. All things are gonna become new. Come on, so if that's you, one, two, three. Throw your hand up in the air. I see you, I see you. Keep it up, throw it up real high, that's me. That's me, Rob, I see you. Keep it up real high. Come on, church, let's rejoice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
All right, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. Confess you as Lord. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you weren't one of those two people, I wanna ask you this question. Maybe you're in this room today and you'd say, Rob, I wanna live a more emptied life. I'm not saying a life on empty, don't. I, but I wanna live a life that is, is thinking less of me and more of others. And, and listen, everybody in this room has thought more about themselves than they have others. This is not unique to any one individual or group of people in this room. This is the condition of humanity. We are born selfish. Why? Because we are born into sin. Nobody had to teach us to say, mine. <laughs> we are born looking out for us. But God wants to give us something that's conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's bigger than we could imagine. That's not just about us. Oh yeah, it'll bless us. But more than that, it's gonna bless others. How many of you would throw your hand up in the room today and just say, I wanna live a more emptied life, a more available life. So Father, in Jesus' name, for every person whose hand is raised in this room, I ask God, not only that you would touch them today, God, but that you would, by your miraculous power, that you would fill them and baptize them afresh in your Holy Spirit, that they would have a new encounter with you, that there would be a freshness to your word, a freshness to their prayer life, a, a new wind, a, a new fire on the inside of them, passion and a zeal. Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the time where they say yes to that missions trip. Maybe this is the time where they say yes to that investment into missions. Maybe this is the year where they say, yes, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tithe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give offering to the house of God. Maybe this is the year where they decide, God, I'm not just gonna sit on the sidelines anymore, but I'm gonna serve in your house. I'm gonna serve your people. Maybe this is the year they start a crew. Maybe this is the year they start a Bible study at school or on their job. Maybe this is the year. God, help us to live a more emptied life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.